Meredith, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks. I am good and excited to be here. Uh, and truth be told, this is our second recording. I screwed up the first one. <laughs> I, lo- I love, I love the, uh, love the honesty, but, uh, but, uh, I, I am so happy to be here and do it again. Uh, no, absolutely. And, and it was, it was, we could just say, Hey, we had a brilliant session together. Let's, let's, uh, just leave- let it go. <laughs> hey, everybody. No, but thank you for agreeing to, to come back on. I absolutely loved our, our conversation and I want to dive, dive right in with you. Um, Meredith Elliott Powell, how do you define sales? I define sales as probably one of the uh, greatest and most important skills that anybody can have in today's world. And I think to sell is nothing more than just wanting to literally help people. You have information that can help people achieve their goals meet their dreams, solve their biggest challenges, solve their biggest problems. And if you have a heart to really help people and help them move closer to what they want to accomplish, then you would be really good at sales. Well, tie that together. Tie that together. Heart to help people. What are the other things that you need uh, to to really drive and be good at sales? You need to have curiosity. I mean, for sure. You need to have a great ability to to listen, actively listen, for lack of a better way to put it, like to hear through very rarely when I'm selling, do people ask me for what they really need? My job is to listen intently to that conversation, hear what they say and gain the understanding and then then be able to strategically put the pieces together of what's going on in their lives and how I can use either products and services that I sell, people I know, whatever it is, that I can help them get closer to what they want to accomplish. And I want to say that in the sense that, you know, sometimes when I'm selling to people, I'm not the right fit for them. And so part of my listening is to try to figure out, you know, what it is they need and how I can help them get closer to that goal. I think this is a you talk about something that occurs not not just in sales, but in life. You said very rarely, very rarely, mm-hmm. do people ask me for what they really need. Yeah, tell me, tell me more about that. Well, you know, I don't know that I really realized that until one day I was out on a call in uh, the banking industry. I mean, that was one of the areas where I was in in sales was in financial services. And I went out with one of our commercial bankers who had ticked off one of our longtime really good customers. And I was fairly, I was his boss, but I was fairly new to the industry. And I went out and he, he said, the guy's ready to leave us and go to somebody else. And I sat down, I said, let's go make a call on him. So I sat down, I just started asking him questions. And here's, here is the, the short version is in getting the, the customer was mad because he wanted to borrow half a million dollars and he didn't qualify for half a million dollars. We wouldn't loan it to him. And our commercial loan officer saw a nail and hit it with a hammer, right? You don't qualify. You can't have it. So I just asked a few more questions. I said, tell me what's going on. Tell me what you need. Tell me, you know, and he said, I need to build a new nursery. He owned a, a nursery and needed to build some greenhouses. I said, how much do greenhouses cost? He said around fifty or sixty thousand dollars. I said, "Well, we can loan you fifty or sixty thousand dollars." And what it got down to 
was the only reason he was asking us for $250,000, $500,000 was because our competitor, who was one of these kind of fly by the seat of your pants banks, had come in and offered him a line of credit. He was insulted that we wouldn't offer him the same thing. But when I got into it, I said, you know, you have three kids getting ready to go to college. You can't cash flow half a million dollars. I'm not going to give you half a million dollars because I want you to still be in business 10 years from now. So I have, that was the day that I realized it's my customer's responsibility to know they have problems and to know they have opportunities. My job as a salesperson is to figure out how to use products and services to help them achieve that. So when I go to the doctor's office, I don't know what I need. When I go you know, even to a restaurant, half the time I'll ask, what's your favorite food? I was just in Ireland and I was like, what should I eat here? You know, I don't know. And that's not my job. All I knew was I was hungry. So that's our job as salespeople. So a lot of times people will come in and they'll ask you for something they see advertised, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not the right product to solve their problem. That's your job as a salesperson is how can you really make that fit because the value is what they're after. I just really, I thought of a, a situation here that uh, it's, it's like when you go into, you go into a Wendy's, right? You go into a Wendy's, you say, I want to, I want a number six. I don't even know what a number six is, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, hold the mayo, add the, add the ketchup and, and you get it. It's because you, you know, ex- you know them, you know exactly what you need. That's a highly transactional sale. You're going to make it again and again and again and again. You go into the fine dining restaurant, what you're talking about. The, most people have to be curious. They have no right. idea what they're talking about. And I, like, if I would walk in, I'd be like, uh, what do you have for $55? Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. You know? right. <laughs> Oops, stop. I can't hear you. Not now, barely. Now, I think I can now. Now? Yeah, perfectly. Perfectly. Not sure what happened. Now I can't hear you again. You got me now? I got you now. Yeah, I have no idea what happened. My whole computer just went blank and then oh, that's turned nice. back on. Um, so I am going to go, I'll go back into the, hey, I, I just thought I'm going to walk into a Wendy's. My whole point of this question was for you to then dive into the, you know, the situational active listening and then how they get how there's information out there on, on everything. And your goal is you just help them whittle it down and find out what they're or go wherever you want, but start, start over at that spot. Sounds good. Okay. Five, four. All right. So I just, I just thought of something. I, I go into a Wendy's, you know, I could go and I could say, all right, I need a number seven. I like the spicy chicken sandwich. It's fantastic. I say number seven, no mayo, add ketchup, add pickles. And I could go in there and, and make that 
make that order because I know it. I know at that point exactly what I need, right? So I relate that. Let's go back to your restaurant analogy. I relate that directly to sometimes there is a product. That's not sales. That's not what they're not selling me anything. I'm just going in and buying. But I go into a high, high class restaurant, you know, and uh, I, I say, I have no clue. I have no clue. I want to spend my money really well. And I want to spend my money on something that actually will make a difference in my life and generally my wife's life because she's going to be the one that's coming to that restaurant with me. Right. So I don't even know the right questions to ask. And so how that's what it seems like you're relating to to sales. Right. And relating to truly diving in with people and listening to them. Yeah, you know, that's why I said one of the most important skills you need to have as a sales professional is curiosity. I mean, you know. Paul, I'm going to even argue that even if you come to the Wendy's and you order the number seven, mm-hmm. Wendy's is going to make a better customer out of you if somebody in there bothers to get to know you, if bothers to ask you, why do you like the chicken sandwich? What is it about the chicken sandwich? So then when I have a new product that is kind of like has the same attributes as the chicken sandwich, I might offer it with you because if not, I might lose you once you're bored of eating the number seven. So, you know, I always have felt I am the best salesperson when I'm selling a product I don't flip and know anything about. You know, when I first went into banking, I came out of healthcare and my boss was like, we're going to put you in training. I said, could I just go on the street and make sales calls? He's like, you don't know anything. I said, I don't care. I said, let me just go out and learn about people's businesses. I'm going to take a buttload of notes and I'm going to come back and I'm going to show you all these notes and you're going to tell me what I need to do next with everything I've learned. But when you ask people, tell me a little bit about your business. Tell me like, what's the biggest headache you had in the last year? If you could have done one thing different, what would have been? How'd you get where you got to? You listen and you listen through that. You find stuff all over the place. You just hear like, I can help them with that. I can help them with that. I could do that. I can hear a problem even when I don't know the company that I'm working for has a product to solve that problem. Now, let me tell you something about that (laughs) is that, so I worked for a very conservative financial institution. If you hadn't been in business at least three years and you couldn't cash flow the loan I was trying to make you, there's no way I was going to make you that loan. I can't tell you how many times I went out and called on businesses that I couldn't bank, but if I helped them when they got to a point that could be banked, guess who they came back to? People don't care who helps them. They just want to be helped and they remember the person who helps them. So your job as a salesperson is just to listen. And like I said, I don't care if it's a transaction. I'd still be diving deeper. I'd want to know why the heck you order the number seven every single time you come in here. And what could else could I offer you that could that could meet the same Um, goals as the number seven, because the deeper I have my hooks in you, the less chance you're ever going to drive through a Burger King. So uh, any, any listener, because I know we have a ton of listeners (laughs) that knows uh, anybody responsible for for revenue at Wendy's, send this podcast (laughs) over there and make sure they're giving Meredith a call. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Because I could... I can triple that revenue. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, it, it, and what you said there is is great because actually I didn't even think about that. Like, and, yeah. and and that's one of the things that, and I've been in sales for twenty years, but I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think about walking into a Wendy's and having somebody sit there and smile at me and say, "Hey, how you doing? Oh, this is fantastic. Let me get your order for you. I hope you really enjoy this. Hey, by the way, 
by the way, you got to tell me what, what do you like best about this sandwich? Yeah. And, and, and that extra little bit of mode and you could, you could say, oh, there's no way a Wendy's employee would do that. I, I would call BS on that, right? That extra little motivation, I guarantee I'd go back to that, that place a million, yeah. a million times more. Well, and then imagine you come in in three weeks and they go, mm-hmm. oh, my God, Paul, we just, we just started selling this hot dog that we flavored the same way as the chicken sandwich. Or we have this new chicken sandwich that you know does this or that. And they offered it to you. It is, you know, that's the other part of sales, right? It's like. The, the act of listening to people and noticing people, listen, that saves marriages, mm-hmm. right? I mean, one of the biggest reasons after finances, people break up is because they don't feel heard. They don't feel understood. They don't feel listened to. And, um, you know, it's the same way. I mean, when you think about like a Wendy's or you think about a bank, it is six, one pick them. Everything looks vanilla. So what are you doing when you're interacting on a sales call? to make the experience different. And I had, um, I had a call earlier today. It's actually, it's a, it's a five figure software that I want to buy. Like I'm ready to pull the trigger, but this guy knows so little about me. I'm totally turned off. Hmm. Like he's told me every, every product and feature of the, of the software. I'm not ready for there. See, until you invest in learning about customers, they're not willing to invest in you. There, there's an interesting thing that I have popping up in my head, which is we, we spend so much time and, and this is really in the past 20 years, like, and it's just elevated since I ever started my career in sales, but collecting data, this idea of collecting data about the customer or the 360 view of the customer, or we, everything that you need to know so you can market to them perfectly. Um, what you're talking about is actually leveraging. It's, it's. It's the data that you can't necessarily collect and it's leveraging the data that you can. Like I think sales will always have a point because that, that, or always have a spot because that data that you can't connect or collect is that human to human interaction. Is that connection? Is that continual? You know, yes, I helped you with this. I listened. I heard. I understand. That's so different than me getting an email from Bank of America that says, oh, thank you. We noticed that you checked out here, here, and here. You're such a great customer. Can you, yeah. I think you should check out here too. How do you, how do you replace that with, or how do you coach people on how to use both really well? Does that question even make sense? I hope yeah. it does. Yeah, it, it does. It makes a lot of sense. So first of all, I feel like the biggest value salespeople bring to the table is exactly what you said. We collect the data that can't be done in surveys, that can't be done in looking at a report that says 50% of our customers did this four times and of that 25% make this next step. Like all of that is really, really critical. But the, the data that we collect is we're on the front line listening for what the urgent needs are, what the biggest problems are, and what the, um, what, what the issues are. And when we can feed that to product development and we can feed that to, you know, to the research part of our organization, we develop products and services that are cutting edge. I'll give you a quick example. Product and Gamble, product, uh, Procter and Gamble, big, you know, P&G, big company mm-hmm. that we all know has data and research on all of their customers. One of their main values is that they will not put a product or service to market without talking to customers first. 
And I think that's really interesting. So when you look at them um, in the 1970s, they were the very first company to ever have a 1-800 line. And nobody had ever had one before or used one. And you can imagine they went to the board of directors and said, will you pay for our line so our customers can call and complain? But what they found was when people called and complained in the 1970s, women went back to work and we complained about the fact that we couldn't work and take care of our kids. We couldn't work and clean our kitchens. We couldn't work and do the laundry. So Procter & Gamble used, quote unquote, that data to develop products and services that spoke to the language of the customer, a product and service line that was about making the life of the working woman easier. And that is data you can never pull. Like, I think it's really, you know, it's really important to know that when I pull my data from my website, who's interested in what I'm talking about, who, how long people stay on a blog or something like that. But the way I figure out how to write the blog is by talking to my customers. Like, so I'm pulling backend data to see if I got it right, but how I know to position myself in the marketplace is through what I hear my customers talking about the problem they can't solve. I'll, I'll take a breath here in a second, but I get really passionate about it. Is that, <laughs> is that um, we need to stop thinking we're selling products and services because we're not. I mean, I'm a speaker. Throw a rock. You can find a speaker anywhere. I get hired because I solve a problem that is relevant to my audience. Anybody can find a bank account. Anybody, anybody can buy a chicken sandwich. So we choose where to buy those based on who understands us and who has positioned that product to solve the right problem. So that would be my answer to that data question. Well, I'm going to, and I'm going to go a step further. So let's go, let's go up from that B2B. Let's go at the B2B sales complex sales level. And I'm going to take what you said and tell me if you agree with this, because I think uh, you find great, great reps, right? That truly understand their customers at that B2B sales. Like, let's say they're selling enterprise deals, right? This is million dollar enterprise deals. And the great, the greatest reps listen enough that they can write that blog specifically. It's, it's a blog. It's a, they can have that conversation specifically with one person on their specific, on their exact specific need. The emotions that come out of, are going to come out of this purchase, the finance issues that are going to come out of this purchase, the, um, you know, they get so deep, right? So deep in with that person and all the other people that are having that sale, right? That they could almost write a specific blog to each of one of the, each one of those people to go in and close that deal. Um, and so diving in deep and deep and deep and deeper, it, that that's what I'm hearing you say is it's not enough to just have this surface level curiosity that somebody can get from a survey. And as you go up higher, the stakes are even higher to know more and to dive deeper and to dive deeper with people. Am I, am I right on that? You're, you're a hundred percent right. What you're looking for are the themes. So um, what do people talk about? What do they ask you about? over and over. For example, my whole market positioning is thriving in uncertainty. Well, I didn't come up with that for myself back in, you know, 2016 and 17, back, you know, when, before we ever heard of COVID or things like that, and the economy was red hot, I was just out talking to customers and in talking to them, um, what I heard was, oh my God, we're having our best year on record, but oh, this uncertainty, everybody was waiting for the ball to drop. And, and, through listening through that, I heard 
we we don't know when the uncertainty is coming and we were fearful of the future and we don't know what to do. And what I thought is I can solve that problem. And I set out to do the work to solve that problem. Well, that makes me relevant, right? Like you're listening to, if you hear it enough, then it's a problem that, that needs to be solved. And if you can solve that problem, that's the path to growth and profitability. So, you know, so I would, if we go back to the active listening thing, I would say more often than not, the biggest thing that people don't feel today is heard. And the reason they don't feel heard is because what they're being sold is not what they're looking for. You said, I'm going to shift gears a little bit um, because into something, I, I want to shift gears into activity. Um, okay. Because I think you just said themes, right? Yes. If I hear something once, it's not a theme. If I hear something twice, it's not a theme. How often do you, like, how many calls do, does, do you go in and do you like have a, that you have to do on a daily basis to talk to new people, to talk to new new people to understand the themes and, and like, how does activity and discipline play into that for you? Yeah. You know, the, um, the, there's, there's a couple of things about that. I mean, number one, I'm talking to customers every single day. So I'm going to separate this a little bit. Okay. So I'm very, I'm very disciplined and very rigid, but it's not, it's not all encompassing. So I just have a goal for myself that I have to make um, three sales calls every day. Used to be two sales calls, but I noticed my pipeline wasn't staying as full as it needed to stay. So I added um, onto it. It'll fluctuate. Sometimes it goes as high as four, never goes below two, even when, even when I'm busting my goal, even when I have so much business in the pipeline, I can't breathe. I still make two sales calls every day. So I make two sales calls every day, two sales calls every day leads to, um, I need to write eight proposals every month and to win four. And if I can make two sales calls every day, I'll write eight proposals, I'll land four proposals, I'll meet or exceed my sales goal on a, um, on a monthly basis. So I'm very, I just figured out the methodology for me. And when I work with clients, that's what I say. We've got to figure out what's your end goal, where you're trying to get to. How many sales calls do you need to make? How many follow-up do you need to make? How many proposals do you need to write? How many proposals do you need to win? How many do you need to lose? Okay, that's how, because if I don't track what I'm losing, I don't know if I'm charging enough. I should lose some, you know, every, every month type of thing. So there's that part of it. But the moment that I hear something three times, then in the conversations, I'll start to dig for it. Like, you know, I might have heard it three times that people are worried about uncertainty. And then Paul, you and I are going to jump on a call and I'll say, you know, tell me how things are going with the business. You go, oh my God, we're having such a great year. I say, are you worried at all about the marketplace recession? Is that even a thing in your industry? I'll start to dig for it a little bit just to kind of see where you are and, and what you, what you think to try to figure out if it's really a trend. So that. The active listening, how you sell, what you believe about sell. I, I, I'm, this is beautiful because that all is so dead in line with the fact that you need to do it continually, right? You absolutely have to do it continually to develop themes, to develop understanding, develop. And, and those metrics for yourself are critical. Now, how do you keep yourself motivated to hit those numbers? Like, yeah. there are salespeople everywhere that are like, yeah, I know. 
you know, I knew, I know I got to do three sales calls a day. Um, but they stop for some reason. Yeah. How do you keep going? Yeah. So, um, first of all, um, I kept my number small. Like the thing that I realized when I started out, it was like a 10 or 12. I won't do that. You know, it's, to me, it's like, um, it's like, uh, you know, if you think you're going to work out for two hours every day, you're not going to do it. But like I break my workouts up into 15 and 20 minute increments because I can't blow off that. So I can't really blow off two, right? So it, it I mean, that's kind of like, it, it takes such minimal time that, um, that I can't really blow it off. The other is, um, you know, if you can't hold yourself accountable, you need to find somebody else to hold yourself accountable. But I am a big believer. My sales calls are part of my morning routine. And I am a big believer that what I do first thing determines the rest of my day. So the very first thing I want to do is I put energy out into the universe that I'm looking for business. And with that, business comes to me. The last thing I'm going to say about keeping me motivated is I could care less if those people ever call me back. I am not hung up on the clothes. And I treat sales the same way I treat helping a friend. So Paul, if you called me, I live in Asheville, North Carolina, and you said, um, we're coming, bringing the family to Asheville, North Carolina. Where should I go? Where should I eat? What should I do? I would get so excited. And I would tell you all the places you need to go. I would recommend eight restaurants to you. And then I I don't care what you do. All I wanted to do was help you. If you don't take my advice, I'm fine with that. That's how I treat sales. I do not control the close, but I can control all the other stuff going into it. I can control the right target market. I can control leading with a servant's heart. I can control the consistency of making sales calls, but I don't get hung up because I don't care if you ever call me back because I believe in the law of left field. And that is, if I start every day with two sales calls, somebody will call me that day for business. And if you don't believe that, leave me alone because it's working for me. <laughs> leave, leave me in Meredith's world. Uh, I love Meredith's world. Law okay. of left field. I love that name. Where'd you get that name? Just, it's coming. I just, I, I made it up, but I really uh. believe that, that I like what happens. It happened today. Like I got up this morning, I made my calls. I went off, played tennis with my girlfriends. I come back, I sit back to, I've got a couple coaching sessions. Boom, I got a lead. Boom, I had a phone call um, for another one. I just, I wrote a proposal this afternoon. That's just how it, that's just how it works. Mm -hmm. And so the other is that like the lady that called me today, talk about relevant information. She's been following me on LinkedIn for a year and been giving her board of directors the articles I write and the videos I shoot because they're relevant. Now they're not relevant because I'm smart. Believe me, they're relevant because I wrote them and I shot the videos based on what my customers told me was a problem. So I'm going to, that is fantastic. Because I, I'm going to say this for every, every new salesperson out there that's listening. Don't be afraid to, to listen to your, listen to the customers and then act on it and use that information and act on it with others because it's so helpful. It's, like it's so, helpful. so helpful. And, and there's this, there's this thing that, and this is for all the sales leaders out there. And I don't know how you coach, coach them, but I'd love your opinion on this. Like 
a sales leader that that wants to capture and say you have to say exactly the right things at exactly the right time and exactly the right thing and here's your script so just do this again and again and again and again and again and again and again a million times like there's some value to to doing that i get it but i i also see that there are some that are out there that give a, they they set guidelines but there's so much more freedom to be able to leverage and use the information that you're you're gathering every day to actually be able to help people and then iterate that back into the rest of the world of the other salespeople, how they help people. Yes. How, how do you coach people on that? Yeah. So my biggest thing is that um, I really, first of all, do not get hung up in the clothes. I cannot say that enough. That the, the That is the part of the buying cycle you do not control. And the moment you try to push a customer to close, First of all, you will heart, you will start to hate sales and become unmotivated because mm-hmm. that just feels yucky to everybody. The second is that, um, that's where you lose the customer because the biggest shift that happened in 2008, it started in 2004, but that's where the consumer started controlling the buying cycle. We don't control the buying cycle, meaning I don't have to buy from you. The only reason I'm buying from you is because you're relevant. I like you and I feel like you listen to me. And until you cross those bridges, you can't push me. Now, the moment you cross those bridges, I want you to push me because the moment I buy a product from you, I think you're going to take care of me. So let me kind of divide that a little bit. Number one is at the beginning of a relationship, I am learning about you. I'm building connection with you. I'm sending you the message that this relationship will be always be more about you than it will be about me. But the moment you buy from me, I'm like, I got your back. And we have built such a connection that I'm going to be like, I'm going to be that person working at Wendy's calling you up and going, Paul, I haven't seen you in a week. We just got a new chicken sandwich. I got your name on it. I expect you down here at one o'clock. And you go to that because you believe I'm the person who takes care of you. So you have to psychologically understand the sales cycle, the, the, the worst thing that can happen to you is that one of your existing customers finds out about a product or service that you sell and they need from somebody else other than you. So you've got to be aggressive once people buy from you. You've got to pull them in in the front end. I always say, like for me, the sale happens in the follow-up. It always happens in the follow-up. And I close 90% of my deals because I'm like a barnacle on a boat and I, you will never chip me off. I'm going to stay with you forever, right? Like every guy in America is so glad he never dated me because I'm standing there when he's at the altar going, are you sure? Are you sure? But, um, but, but so the chances that I am going to interact with you at the exact moment you're ready to buy are slim to none. So I've gotten you interested and I've listened to you. Now I have to continue to stay in touch so that when you're ready to buy, I'm the one you choose. But follow-up has got to be about nurturing relationship, not pushing you to buy. And so that's where those relevant articles are coming through. That's where those things that can add value to the relationship and help you build the belief that I'm the right person to help you. I just, uh, I did a LinkedIn post uh, recently and it came off of a conversation I had with with somebody. Um, and the LinkedIn post said, uh, it, it, it had a guy, a guy kicking down a customer's door, and it said uh, that the caption was "Buy from me, you a hole," because my manager yeah. wants, because my manager wants you to. Um, yeah. 
And, and what you just said there is like the opposite of that. Like it's be nurturing, be there, uh, you know, that aggressive close. So this particular instance came about that the, the dude was on vacation for two weeks and the rep had enough time uh, yeah. and enough of a relationship to know that they were going to be on, on, on vacation and all that stuff, but didn't meet the manager's time frame of, of uh, their number that they needed to hit. So the rep got pulled in and got a, got a tongue lashing and be told to need to be aggressive. It's like, what the hell? You know, just right. Like, right. what? He's on vacation. He's enjoying right. himself. I'm there for him. He's going to buy from me. I know him. He's going to buy from me. We got this. I have all the relevant information. I have exactly when, but you're right. It makes you hate sales and it makes the customer hate you. When, when yeah. you go into that, uh, hey, we've done all this. Now tell me exactly when, exactly when, exactly when, exactly when, exactly when. So how you can stay on them, you can nurture. Um, and so is the secret then from your perspective, just having enough of that pre-act or that, that activity up here for the law of left field that you know you're going to get the deals in the forecast that are going to come. At the end. Yeah, I always I always say you got to sell from a place of power rather than a place of, of need. And a place mm-hmm. of power is enough moving through the pipeline. So so for example, um, you know, I told you I just went from two calls a day to three calls a day. The mm-hmm. reason I track and I measure behaviors, I, tra- I track and I measure behaviors to get to results. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But if you're a sales leader out there right now, and you really want to motivate your sales team and you really want them to be amazing, stop hammering them about the goal and start measuring and tracking behaviors because that's where change can be made. And so I track my behaviors. And so I was making my two sales calls for, gosh, for eight for eight or nine months. That worked great. And then all of a sudden I saw a slowdown in my pipeline. Now I'm going to argue it's a little bit to do with the economy going on. It's decision making has slowed down a little bit. People are worried about interest rates, those types of things. So that tells me I need to increase my activity. I didn't do anything wrong. I just need to increase my activity because I need more coming through the pipeline. Yep. And, um, and you have enough moving through the pipeline. You know, we've all heard those stories. I mean, the, I, I am such a believer in energy and confidence in a world where a customer can buy a product anywhere. The moment that you feel I need this deal and like that guy selling that software, I I just feel he has got, he has pressure. That tells me the company isn't doing well. I may have made that up in my head, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't feel good to me. And the moment it doesn't feel good to me, I'm out of there. And so you, you gotta be, you gotta be moving through the pipeline because here's the thing, Paul. Like you and I could have had a great meeting and you want, you want to buy what I got to offer so bad. And then we hang up the phone or shut off the video or I walk out of your office and, you know, and your biggest customer calls with a massive deal for you. And then you go home and your kid got a D on his report card and your mother fell and broke her hip. All of a sudden, what I am selling is not your priority. Doesn't mean you don't want to buy it, but you got to take care of your customer you know, you got to figure out how the heck your kid isn't going to flunk out of school. And now you got to go find somewhere for your mother to live for two months because nobody's there to take care of her. So people's lives are busy and those things happen. Like my favorite email line to people is, um, hey, Paul, I know you're busy. Please don't worry about calling me back. 
um, I'm going to stay in touch with you. And when you're ready to buy, I'll be here. And what that does is you go, oh, thank God, I don't have to answer these emails she's going to send me. But I bought myself permission to call you and to send you emails. And I do it in a value add way. And so when you walk into the office and you have 150 emails because you had to go to the school counselor yesterday, you can X mine out. You don't even have to read it. But my name was in front of you. And what happens because I gave you that permission, you're not embarrassed that you never called me back. And when it's time to buy, you'll call me back because I made it easy for you. See, if I don't stay visible, you'll be like, who's that woman? What did we talk about? I don't know where her email is. And John just sent you an email. So you're going with John, but you got to, you got to nurture that thing. It just, sales leaders drive me crazy because they convince salespeople that the fact that the deal won't close is their fault. It's not really their fault. And, you know, if you're tracking behaviors and they're doing what they're supposed to do, then chances are things things get derailed for a number of reasons. We're going to cut that little uh, that piece out that you did there. I'm sure that's going to be one of our our promos for this because it's brilliant in that that the email it. It gives permission like I love that it absolutely gives permission and instead of the email that I get that says, this is the last time I'm going to last oh, time I'm ever, because the, the buyer, like as a buyer of stuff all the time now, like I, the, I do feel embarrassed. So I, I, and I've been in situations where the, the sales manager or the sales company or something, they, they call me unprofessional or they'll call, you know, they'll call oh. their customers unprofessional because they're not getting back to them. And, and this type of, and it's, why are you putting that energy out? So because if that's coming out of the sales team about how they think about their prospects, how do you think they're going to think about them as customers? And and that drives me absolutely insane when that happens. Um, I am I am so with you. I got one this morning um, on my LinkedIn. I've been uh, my husband and I were in uh, Ireland last week, and I had really planned to work on the plane, nine hour flight. And I got on the plane, and Delta says no Wi-Fi. So I've been behind ever since I got home. So I got on my LinkedIn this morning because I hadn't been on there in a while. And I checked my messages. And this guy sends me a message that says, this is your last chance. If you don't answer this, I'm not going to contact you anymore. I'm like, I don't even know who you are. Good. Like, yeah. And, 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 and I'm thinking, hey, exactly. That is exactly, that is exactly what I thought. And see, I know that eventually... You are going to want to buy. I landed a contract that to date has brought me in over $300,000 worth of revenue. And the exact quote the guy gave to me was, I, I, I didn't know, but he was going through some real emotional issues with his children. His two children were having a lot of trouble and he took a sabbatical from work. He was kind of answering emails, but he really wanted, I didn't know any of this. And he called me when he got, when he got back and he said, uh, he said, you know, Meredith, I'd really like to move forward. Apologize. I haven't been in touch, but I just want to tell you you're the only salesperson that I dealt with. It just made it really easy for me. He said, you didn't make me feel bad that I couldn't keep up with stuff. And that's all I had done was send him that email and just said, you know, know you're busy. Know you've got a lot on your plate. Please don't worry about me. I'm going to stay in touch with you. Send you some stuff that may be of value. And uh, when you're ready, I'll be here. I didn't know any of that was going on. But the thing I do know, Paul, is that most of the time people don't get back to us. It doesn't have anything to do with us. I uh, thank you. 
thank you for this. And thank you for, for coming on the show again. Is there any, um, is there any last thoughts you'd like to leave the audience with? Just, you know, that, um, number one is sales is such a great profession. If you really, I mean, it's a great profession on so many levels, but, but mostly because what we do for a living day in and day out is help people move closer to their goals. The last one I'm going to leave you with is that I am a big believer, build your network. It will change your life. Um, if we're not connected, connect with me. You're only one connection away from somebody who can help you achieve anything you want. Thank you. Thank you. And by the way, uh, I am going to need to, to figure out some Asheville stuff here in the near term. Yeah, so we'll connect with that do. offline. And yes, because I'm, I'm going to go down there. We're, we're heading down there in November. So it's going to be fantastic. So we'll talk oh, to that please. offline. Yep. So I'm going to need out. all the, okay. Yeah. I need all, I'm going to need all the details. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're on LinkedIn. Is there any other place they should find you? Yeah, I spend most of my time on uh, the social media channel of LinkedIn and then reach out at my website, valuespeaker.com, just the words valuespeaker.com. And I do guarantee you connect with me, I'll connect with you. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Meredith. It has been an honor and a blessing to be on with you. Everybody out there, we're going to call this an episode today. Keep shining bright. And that it, that's it for this episode of the Art and Science of Complex Sales. Thank you so much. And stop. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <We're out. laughs> yeah. Great. Thank you. Fun as always.